Well, good morning. You guys doing okay this morning? Good, good. I'm glad to be here with you guys. Uh, we've had a, uh, an, an insanely um, busy season traveling. This is my seven of the last eight weekends I've been in a different church uh, teaching about family. And uh, I know some of you guys that are gray hairs out there actually are thinking he has a family. Uh, yes, I've been married 23 years, and uh, my son's at Union University. My daughter's a junior at uh, Briarcrest, uh, not Briarcrest, I said Briarcrest because I was looking at, at the Gates family over here. At, she's a junior at uh, ECS, and um, we've, uh, we are lifelong Memphians. We've been here for 46 years, and uh, I'm grateful I get to be here. I've known, uh, actually been here at Fisherville several times speaking about family for some, uh, it was on Wednesday nights, right? So um, anyway, but I get to be here with you guys today, this morning and this evening, as Jeff said, at 5.30. So I encourage you guys to come back for that as we're going to be talking about technology and how that affects the lives of all of our kids and grandkids. And so if you're thinking, I have no idea how to even turn on my own cell phone sometimes, then I encourage you to come back and skip the football game, and it'll be well worth it, okay? So we're going to have a great time together tonight, just kind of an eye-opening experience for all of us. But uh, for now, we got about 25, 30 minutes this morning together to look at a passage of Scripture from a very well-known uh, character from his life. And it's one of those experiences in his life where he is at the end of his life, and God comes to him and says, I'm going to give you one last shot to be able to speak to my people. And I mean, I think about it, if you had one last time to speak to your kids, or one last opportunity to speak to your grandchildren, what would you want to do? What would you want to say? You know, I was actually preaching last year at uh, First Baptist Covington, Tennessee, and was speaking on this same issue of leaving a spiritual legacy in our lives and about the fact that we don't know how much time we have left here on this earth. And so that we want to use the time that the Lord gives us wisely to invest spiritually in the next generation, primarily in our own children and grandchildren. So I'm getting ready to preach this message, and there's a loud noise at the back door. That sounds like someone just ran into the back doors right there. And so we're, it's about eight minutes before the service is supposed to start. So some of, the, some of the elders and deacons get up and they go to the back to find out what's happening. The pastor walks in as I'm walking up to the pulpit. The pastor walks up and he goes, that was Mr., we'll just call him Mr. Jones. That was Mr. Jones, one of the founding deacons here at our church. He just had a cardiac arrest and died in the lobby. And then the pastor goes, what do you think we should do? And I said, I'm just a guest here. You're their shepherd. I think you need to decide what we're getting ready to do because the, their, the organist is playing the music and we're getting ready to start. So it was, it was actually an amazing experience. I'm sitting there. He comes up. He explains what happened. And then someone over here raises their hand and they, he, he it's like an out-of-body experience. The pastor is like, I don't know what to do. He just explains what happened in the lobby a few minutes ago. The paramedics aren't even here yet. Someone stands up and says, can I just share a story? And share a story about Mr. Jones and the fact that their marriage is whole because he showed up and shared the gospel with them at their house one day. And then someone over here raises their hand and goes, could I, can I share a story? And they raises their hand and says, yeah, uh, Mr. Jones showed up at my house 30 years ago and was doing visitation and shared the gospel with me. And I'm here in this church because of Mr. Jones. And then one story after another, people stand up and just start sharing stories. And then we just go right into the worship and I get up and share the message. And we thought, wow, that is as it should be. Because, you know, like we, none of us know how much time we have left on this earth. And when we all pass away, what kind of stories are they going to share? 
Because we are all going to leave a legacy with our lives of some kind. That they're going to share stories of some sort about what we left behind when we're gone. And so this morning, you know, we're going to look at the story in Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, you can open with me there to Deuteronomy 6. If not, some of the verses will be up on the screen. I'm actually going to start in Deuteronomy 4, but that's okay. Just go in Deuteronomy 6, and I'll show you the other verses from Deuteronomy 4. And so God comes to one of the patriarchs of our faith, and he says to them, you know what? You've been leading God's people, my people, for 40-plus years. And, uh, and he, the whole thing started when God came to him and said, hey, you know what? Um, I'm tired of my people being in captivity, and so I want you to go to Pharaoh. So now you know who the story's about. I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him it's time to let my people go. So Moses goes to Pharaoh 10 times, and Pharaoh keeps saying no until finally the 10th time. He says, okay, you guys go and skedaddle out of here. So they, they leave out of Egypt. They get to the Red Sea. They can't cross because there's a giant sea right there. So God splits the sea wide open. They go across on dry land, but when they get to the other side, they don't know how to worship God. Because the reason why they don't know how to worship God is because they haven't, been, they haven't been faithful to God and because they don't know God. And so God says, hey, because you guys don't trust me, don't have faith in me, you don't worship me, I'm going to have to let this generation die off and the next generation of kids can come up and for the next 40 years you can get reacquainted with who I am and learn to trust me all over again. Now you know this story, yes? If you've been at church for any point in time, we know this story. Now, here's the problem with knowing stories, especially for some of us who have been around church for a long time. When we, when we, when we, as soon as the pastor says, or the teacher, or whoever says, hey, the story is about Abraham, we go click, and we shut our brain off because we think we know the story, because we've heard it before. Yes? Or we go, oh, oh, you know that one about the guy and the giant, oh, and, you know, and the big fish? He gets swallowed, and we go, oh, I know that story, click, and we shut our brain off. So what I'm going to ask you this morning as we look at this passage from the life of Moses is that we don't click our brains off because just maybe the Holy Spirit may want to say something new to us this morning, okay? So in Deuteronomy 6, uh, he starts off, actually he starts off in Deuteronomy 4, and Moses, he gets up, and this is his, his last hurrah. This is his last speech. The last thing he ever gets to say to God's people. And so this is his, his brave heart moment, his Rocky Balboa, you know, his remember the Titans. This is his, his last coaching speech he ever gets to give. So Moses gets up and he starts it off in Deuteronomy 4. And this is what he says in Deuteronomy 4. He says, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so you do not forget the things that your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Be careful and, don't, and watch yourselves closely so you don't forget the things that your eyes have seen. Now these people that he's speaking to that are all in their 40s and 50s, they were children when they came out of Egypt, yes? So they spent the last four decades wandering on the wilderness beginning to learn how to trust God again. So then Moses, at the end of his life, he says to them, don't forget the things that your eyes have seen. And then what he does through the rest of chapter 4 into chapter 5 is he kind of takes them through a top 10 hits of their time with God over the last 40 years. It's kind of like Moses, he says, hey, don't you remember you were like eight years old? When we got to the Red Sea, and we all thought we were going to die, and then I raised my staff and I prayed and God split the sea wide open. You remember that, don't you? Oh, you remember, you were like 10 years old and we were lost. 
And we didn't know the way to go. And so I stopped and prayed. And God provided this pillar of fire at night and this cloud during the day because God was trying to show us that he is our shepherd that guides the way. Oh, you remember that time? You were like nine years old and we didn't have food to eat. And so I stopped and I prayed and God provided this manna from heaven because he was trying to show us that he is our provider. And he takes them through story after story after story of their time with God for the last 40 years. And so Moses reminds them at the end of his life, don't forget the things that your eyes have seen. And then he says, these things that you've experienced from God, because that's how we know that God is real, don't we? It's because when we have seen him in our own lives. You know, we could go to a university, U of M, right? U of M. You, you, you could go to a philosophy class at U of M, and we could debate, does God exist? We could, we could go to any college campus, high school campus, and we could argue over, is the Bible real? And does the Bible have errors? And, and people could come up with proofs and, and all kind of you know, pluses and minuses of what they think about this. But the one thing that no one can argue with is your story. Your testimony is the most powerful thing that you have. Because what is someone going to say whenever you stand up and you say, hey, you know how I know that God is real? Because I remember when I lost my job and my family prayed and then all of a sudden God provided for us. What is someone going to say to that? Uh-uh. You know, like no one could argue with your story. It's how God has made himself real to you personally. And so Moses says, don't forget these things. And then how does he finish that verse? He says, teach them to your children and then to who? Now listen, I know we're in a Baptist church. And I know a lot of you got gray hair. But here's the deal. You can speak out loud to me, okay? I promise. We could, this will work well if we do it this way. So when Moses says, teach it to your children and then to who? And to your children after them. Meaning, the only way the gospel, the only way the truths of God get passed down to the next generation is when we who know God share the truths of God, the stories of God, with the next generation. Do you know who has more influence in this church than anyone else? And you probably don't even know it. And it's not your pastoral staff. We've created this hierarchy in our churches in America where the pastoral staff are the people that have all the power, all the influence in the church. But you know who has more influence in your church than anyone else and you don't even know it? It's you guys in here with gray hair. And you know why you have more influence than anyone else? Because you've lived it. Because for decades you've been faithfully walking with him. You have story after story after story to tell. You know, I, when I was a youth pastor like Jeff for many years, for more than a decade, and I look back on my experience as a youth pastor with a lot of regret because I, I thought the way that, of being a cool youth pastor would be to let's get a bunch of college students and let's them have them like lead small groups for our high school and middle school students, not realizing that how dumb is that? They're, lead, they're struggling with all the same issues that the middle schoolers are. So instead, I think, what if we begin to get all of you guys that are in your 50s and 60s and 70s, and we brought you into the student ministry, we brought you into the children's ministry, and all we have to say is, would you share your story? Just share your stories of how you know that God is real, how he's shown yourself to you over the years. You know, I, I think it's so unfortunate that our culture, we've, we, our culture doesn't know how to value those in the older generation, do we? It, it's like we, we, we want to take you in, you, you can be in this home over here. 
you can have your own little class over here and do your old music over here. And I'm thinking, no, we need to figure out how to get you guys in front of the church just to share your story. My kids, when they were younger, I had to train them how to interact with their grandparents because we don't know how to do that, do we? And so I would tell my kids, now listen, when we get to Mimi and Granddad's house, when we get to Grandma and Papa's house, I want you to leave all your screens in the car. And so because if they bring them inside, what are they going to do? Because you've seen this with your own grandkids, haven't you? They're, like, they're staring at the screen the whole time. You're thinking, I only got two hours to interact with you at the holidays. And so I would say, I want you to leave all the screens in the car. You can come get them after mealtime. And when we go inside, I want you to say, hey, Mimi, will you tell me what was your favorite Christmas present when you were my age? Hey, Granddad, will you tell me about what your family did at Easter when you were my age? And I would just coach my children how to ask questions of their grandparents, and I would call my parents ahead of time and say, listen, I know you got to get the pot roast finished. I know you got to get the cranberry jam going, but just share some stories with your grandkids because I know that their time on this earth is limited. Three years ago at 5.30 a.m. in the morning, I got a phone call from the 911 operator that says, is this Mr. Hausman? And I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, you need to get home immediately, like meaning to my, my original home, my parents' home. And so I, I, I get up and I start getting ready and my wife goes, what's wrong, what happened? And I said, well, she didn't say, but I'm sure it's that my dad is gone. It's just one of those feelings that you have. You know, 911 doesn't call for anything at 9.530 in the morning. There's always a reason. And so sure enough, before I even got to my parents' house, my dad had already gone to glory. And my first thought was, there are no more stories to tell. He didn't get another chance to share one more story. I'm thinking, what I want you guys to do this week, call your grandkids. This week, show up at their house if they live here in the city around you. Don't ask for permission. Just show up and say, you and me, we're going to have some overpriced coffee so I can share some stories with you, right? We're going to go have some yogurt, and I'm like, who's going to say no to grandmother, right? Just show up and just share some stories so that when you're gone, this legacy of faith is passed down to the next generation and the generation after them. Well, then Moses, we haven't even gotten to the text yet, by the way, so I'm not sure about this whole 25 minutes of preaching thing. So um, uh, Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 6, turn there. And this is Moses, when he gets into the text, this is what he says in verses 5 through 9. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strengths. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This morning, I want to unpackage this, this passage for us. Many of us have heard this passage several times, but this morning, I want to unpackage it, maybe just share three principles of how each one of us can leave a spiritual legacy with our lives. Now, I know I'm speaking primarily to you parents and you grandparents this morning, but you teenagers, you children, please don't check out on me, okay? Because right now, you are writing, you are writing the first chapter of what the spiritual legacy of your own life is going to be. So these decisions that you're making in high school, middle school, college, they're monumentally important because the first story of every book is the most important chapter. The first chapter is where you get to meet the characters. You get to decide whether or not you want to finish the rest of the book. Is the book worth reading? And so this morning, these principles apply to you guys as well. 
So the first principle of how we can leave a spiritual legacy in our lives is this, is that if we're going to leave a spiritual legacy in our families, I must first be connected to God's heart in order to lead my family. So many of us, we decide, we see crisis happen in our families, and we jump in and we decide, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to regulate this. I can take care of this, especially dads. You know, we come home and maybe the house is in chaos. Mom's already in tears, and you're thinking, I'm going to come in and I'm going to regulate you know, that's my job, isn't it? To take care of business as dad. But we walk into our house completely empty because we've given everything we had to our career that day. Moms, we gave everything we had to our jobs and volunteering and all these things we do in the community, and we got nothing left to give our families because we were never filled with the Holy Spirit at the beginning of the day. We, we talk so much in our culture about things like um, eating right, yes? It seems like every six months there's another diet, isn't there? You know, it's like the vegan diet, the, the, the glucose-free diet, the eat cardboard diet. There's always some new diet fad we're coming up with because we know how important it is to eat healthy. But yet, it's one of those things that we know, but we never quite get around to doing, especially if you live in the South. And it's kind of like, like, for instance, we've been told our whole life that what meal is the most important meal of the day? Breakfast. We're told that breakfast, and we know this, in our brains, but yet what do we do at 6.45 in the morning when the bus is showing up to pick up our kids? Like we're shoving a Pop-Tart in their mouth as they're walking out the door because we know how important breakfast is, but we never quite get around to eating healthy. We know how important exercise is, but we never quite get around to actually taking advantage of that gym membership that we're paying for. You do know that 92% of people who buy gym memberships never go to the gym because we have great intentions, but poor follow through. It's kind of like the dentist when the dentist says, have you been flossing lately? And you go, okay, um, I remember you gave me some floss the last time I was here, and I know how to spell floss. So, uh, yeah, I've been flossing. But what he means is, like, is this a regular activity of your life is to be flossing? In the same way that we can't lead our families unless we're filled with God ourselves first. Moses says it this way in the verse, in the passage. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strengths. These commands I give you should be upon your hearts. Jesus talks about our heart, doesn't he? He says that's where, that's where our treasure is. The things that are most important to us are the things that's in our heart. Because we talk about what we think about, and we think about what we love. We talk about what we think about, and we think about what we love. Which means the conversations that we're having throughout the day, those are the things that we're treasuring in our heart. Those are the things that are most important to us. Do we spend most of our time sitting around talking about UT football? or U of M basketball, or the Titans? Like, what do we spend our time talking about? Because those conversations are indicative of what we treasure in our hearts. And Moses says, what we should put in our hearts is these truths to love your Lord and your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strengths. And that what that means is that we have to begin to, at the beginning of the day, grandmother, grandfather, mom, dad, teenager, at the beginning of the day, get up before all the chaos of the house begins. Because, Mom, you know this. You've learned this, haven't you, Mom? That once the kids are up, it's chaos time. There is no time to connect with God once the kids are up, yes? I mean, like, we got to, you know, we got to do everything we got to do in our life, we got to do before the kids or grandkids are up because then they take over our attention. And my wife, she, she, she learns this way better than I did. And so she, to this day, she gets up before the rest of us in the house, and so she'll get up at 7 a.m., 
And she'll be outside in the backyard, sitting in the hammock with her Bible, spending time with God before the day begins. Because once everybody gets up, all bets are off whether or not God's going to show up or whether or not she's going to see him. In the same way that if we are going to lead our families, if we're going to be... if we're going to do well in our vocations, if we're going to be able to succeed in school, then we have got to start our days connecting our heart to God's heart. Before we try to lead, before we try to do anything else, we've got to just stop. And it doesn't have to be long. I'm not saying we need to have a one-hour quiet time. That could be it for you. It could just be for one minute tomorrow. Just one minute if you've never done it, just to get up tomorrow and just say, God, before I pick up this screen... Before I I immerse myself in all the technology of my life and turn on the TV, can I just hear from you today? God, what do you got in store for me? How do you want me to love people today? Who do you want me to touch today? Who do you want me to speak to today? God, let your thoughts be my thoughts today. The second principle is this, is that if we're going to leave a spiritual legacy with our lives, it's not just our heart being connected to God's heart, but we have to introduce our children to God's heart. We've got to help them discover the heart of God. Moses says it this way in the passage. He says, these truths that you've learned about who God is, these stories that you have, that you hide in your heart of loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says, impress them upon your children. That literally means, uh, in the Hebrew, it means to brand, like with an iron. Like, for instance, if we were to go to a, a, a cattle ranch and we saw some cows, those cattle would be, have a brand on them, yes? And that brand signifies ownership, who owns the cow, who, who has impressed himself upon that cattle. In the same way, Moses is saying these truths about who God is, impress them upon your children, meaning to brand it on them so that the truths of God become their identifier of who they are, that they find their identity in Christ and not in how many friends they have on Instagram. They find their identity in Christ and not how many thumbs up they have on social media. Do you get this? And so we have to impress these truths of God upon them, to brand it on them. And he says, talk about them when you get, when you sit at home. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. When does it sound like Moses is saying that we should be talking about the truths of God with our children and grandchildren? Yes, all the time. When he says, when you lie down and when you get up, when you walk along the road and when you stop. Talk about the truths. Now, I don't think Moses means literally every conversation is about Jesus. I think what Moses is getting at there is this idea of teachable moments, of these moments that come and go just like this. They show up and then they're gone. And we have to decide whether or not we're going to take advantage of that moment and capture it when God puts it in front of us. And I believe that God gives every one of us, every day, opportunities to teach truth to others if we take advantage of that moment when he puts it in front of us. My kids, when they were younger, they were, um, we were homeschooling because we were trying to raise weirdos. And um, I'm just kidding. If, uh, I'm one of you, okay? So don't be offended. So uh, anyway, my kids were homeschooled, and uh, they were the only kids that we knew of that had to walk through the mall at a certain point in time with their head down. And that they, they would literally cover their eyes like this walking through the mall. And it was because, you know, in our mall here in Memphis, um, 
not the old mall of Memphis, but you know, over here, that Wolf Chase Mall. Anyway, at the mall, there is a, a, uh, a woman that has a store there. Her name is Victoria. And um, Victoria has lots of secrets. If, if you've ever seen her secret store, I don't think anything's a secret anymore. I think she's fully shared them all with us. But anyway, in her little secret store, anytime we would be walking to the mall and we would get by her little secret shop, I would just say to my kids, oh, wow, look at that. And that was their cue to cover their eyes and look down at the ground. And so, yes, I told you we were raising weirdos. And so my kids would be walking to the mall with their head down. And the reason was because my job is to protect their heart, right, and protect their eyes. And so I know this sounds a little bit silly when I say it this way, but it was a, it was a serious teachable moment really quickly with my son when he was 11. He was 11 years old, and we're right there by the escalator because her little secret shop is by the escalator, if you've been there before. And as we're going up the escalator, there was this vinyl banner on the wall advertising this new makeup in her store. Now, there was nothing inappropriate about the banner. All it was was a woman's face and then their store logo. But I look over at the banner, and I turn to my son, and I said, Bailey, I want you to look at this. He turns over, and he looks at the banner, and I said, Bailey, do you see those eyes? And he said, yes, sir. I said, Bailey, do not trust those eyes. I said, those are deceiving eyes. I said, those eyes want to trap you. And I said, those are called bedroom eyes. And the only person that should ever look at you with those eyes are your wife. And so if anyone else looks at you like that, you run. I said, do you understand? And he goes, yes, sir. And then we went and got ice cream. I mean, it was 45 seconds because God put it there and either I could ignore it or take advantage of it. You're riding down the road. You see a billboard that's inappropriate. You got the radio on, and some song comes on with inappropriate lyrics. You're watching television with your kids. Your dads, granddads, you're watching any sporting show on television, and the commercials are going to be inappropriate, yes, because they're always going to tell you something that you need to touch or something you need to drink. And so either we can ignore it, or when God puts those teachable moments in front of us, we can take advantage of it. As we walk along the road, as we lie down and get up, speak about the truths of God to our kids and our grandkids, to your, to your, to your peers at school. Take advantage of those moments. One time, uh, several years ago, my kids, we were um, on Sunday nights, we watched this program, uh, Extreme Home Makeover. You guys remember that? It was on television where they would tear down a family's house and build them a new home. And when my kids were little, we would watch this on Sunday nights, and we would talk about things like having a servant's heart and what it means to be selfless and what it means to, to live for something greater than yourself and, and, and those kind of biblical principles. So one night, we're watching the program, and it goes to a commercial break. And as every good, you know, red-blooded American male, I have the remote control because that's, you know, our constitutional right as men is to own the remote. And so that goes to a commercial break as we're watching this family program, and the commercial wasn't a family commercial. It was advertising this program that came on later in the evening about these housewives. And um, these housewives are, were apparently very desperate and um, I don't know what they were desperate about because I never saw the program, but the commercial was extremely inappropriate in, in its content. And so I reach over to grab the remote because my kids were five and seven, and, and I'm looking for the remote, and it's not there. I mean, like the one time in my life I need it, it's not there. I literally start throwing the cushions off of the couch looking for the remote, and as I, I finally find it, I look over, and my five and seven-year-old are staring at the TV. Like, they're taking it all in. And my first thought was, 
okay, just let it go. They don't understand what they're seeing. Don't make a big deal about this. Don't scare them. Oh, look, the program's back on. It's over. It's not, you know, just, just go on. And then immediately I felt like the Holy Spirit in my heart said, Brian, if you don't tell them about my design for marriage, then who will? And so we just turned the TV off, and we had an awkward conversation with a five- and seven-year-old that lasted about three minutes. And then we turned the TV back on, and we continued to watch the program. Because God gives us those moments every day if we're willing to speak truth to the people around us as we walk along the way. I think part of introducing our children to God's heart is just even bringing them to the right place where they can hear truths from other people like this. Like you didn't come here because, because they don't teach the gospel. Why, did you, why do you come to this church? Why are you a part of this group of believers? I'm guessing it has to be. It's not because of the great potlucks, but it's because you believe this to be a place where you know yourself are going to be fed as well as your children and your grandchildren are going to hear the truths of God. Yes, that, that this is a place where you know you can go to, your, your kids can come to a Sunday school class and they're going to learn songs and they're going to hear verses and they're going to hear stories about the truths of who Jesus is. That you know that your students are going to be in a student ministry where they're going to hear the truths of God and they'll learn to put those truths into practice in their own life. Yes? You know, so we, we need to take it as an important thing. Like, what a blessing that we get to be a part of a culture. We get to freely come and worship and, and invite our children and grandchildren to be part of a community of believers where we can have not just ourselves, but other people speak into our kids as well. But I don't want you to miss this, that if you are relying, as important as that is, if you are hoping beyond all hope that your pastoral staff will somehow be able to lead your kids and your grandchildren to Jesus, then you're putting your eggs in the wrong basket because that is not their job. Their job is to play cleanup hitter to you. Their job is to prop you up as mom and dad, as grandmother and grandfather to say, hey kids, listen to these people. Hey kids, listen to your mom and dad. Listen to your grandparents, because they have something important to say. I remember my kids, when they got to um, the student ministry at our church, I went to our youth pastor and to their small group leader, and I, I said, and I, I wasn't trying to um, put them in their place or anything, but I said, um, I know that at some point in time, you're going to be talking to our children about how to honor God with their sexuality. You're going to be talking about things like um, the importance of having uh, the proper my heart, heart attitude in dating. And I said, I'm so glad that you're going to talk to my kids about those things, but you won't be the first one because I get first shot at it. I said, I, I know that you're going to be talking to my children about how to honor God with your, your hands when it comes to your gifts and your abilities and your passions and how to have a good work ethic. And I said, but you won't get first shot at it. I do. I said, everything that you're going to teach my children, you'll be playing cleanup hitter to me because I will get to talk about it first at home. That should be all of our attitudes is that every day, so that when our children and our grandchildren show up at church and they get to come in this room and they hear your pastors preach and teach about something, they should be able to say, oh, wow, that's something they shouldn't say. That's, wow, that's something new I'm hearing. What they should be saying is, oh, yeah, I heard that at home already. Because we are doing our jobs of connecting our heart to God so that we can help them connect their heart to God. The third principle is this 
is if you're going to leave a spiritual legacy in our families, am I going too fast for you guys? I talk really fast. Are you catching that already? The third principle is this. I must model the ways of God to my children. Moses says it this way in the verse. He says, take these truths and Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. These are all action verbs. These are all words in which the child is watching the parent do something. They're watching the grandparent do something. When he says, write them on the door frames of your houses, bind them on your foreheads, there's this modeling that's taking place. Because as important it is as it is for your heart to be connected to God, and as important as it is for you to introduce your children to other people so their heart can be connected to God, that you yourself have to be modeling these truths to your children and grandchildren. We, we know this in terms of business. We talk about things like speed of the leader, speed of the team, meaning that as, 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 as mature as the leader is, that's going to be as indicative of how mature the leader, I mean, sorry, as the, that's as far as the team can possibly go in terms of their own leadership. But the same principle implies in our families as well, that our children and grandchildren, our peers at school, they can only be as spiritually mature as we are the ones that are leading them. So we have to be the ones modeling the truths of God to our kids, writing these truths on our door frames and on our foreheads. I don't think he literally means that we need to go to Lifeway and buy plaques that say, as for me and my house, and put them on our door frames. You're welcome to do that. I think he's really getting to the principle of that our children watch the words that we speak. They watch what we do with our hands. They're watching what we, how we spend our money. And so they begin to learn that the truths of God are not just things that we say, but they see them put into practice in our own families. For instance, my, um, I believe I'm not here by accident this morning. I know that I'm here very intentionally, because I was raised in a home by a mom. My dad didn't become a Christ follower until I was 13. And so it was always very awkward on Sunday mornings as a kid, because my mom, every Sunday morning, would get myself and my brother up and would get us dressed and take us to church. And I remember even as an eight-year-old, just feeling this weird tension in our home, but not knowing what it was for, as my mom would leave by herself to take her two boys to church, and my dad would stay at home. And she did that every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, made sure that we were part of God's people hearing the truths of God. And I don't think my mother, I know my mother didn't do that on accident. She did it because she was being raised by my grandmother, her mother, who she had five brothers and sisters, my mom. And my grandmother was a victim of spousal abuse, domestic violence. Uh, my grandfather, who I've never met on that side of the family, he ended up dying from alcoholism. And uh, he would uh, threw her down a flight of stairs while she was pregnant. I mean, it was about as bad as you can get when it comes to domestic abuse. And so he eventually left her with five kids. And she, she worked as a, in a bakery. She worked as a cobbler, like repairing shoes. She, she did all kind of just odd jobs as a single mother in the 40s, 50s, trying to raise five kids. But yet my mom said that she remembers every Sunday morning that my grandmother would walk them down to a bus station in Fraser over here in Memphis, and they would get on a bus in order to go to church on Sunday mornings. And I don't think my grandmother did that by accident. I know she did it on purpose, because she was busy and raised in a home by my great-grandmother, 
who had two kids, and she was so poor that she used to make homemade hair barrettes and sell them in a little wooden box on a street corner so that she could get enough money to buy milk and bread. At least that's our family story. But yet my, my grandmother says that she remembered every Sunday morning, my great-grandmother would get her and her brother dressed, and they would walk to a little church over in Raleigh to go to church on Sunday mornings. So why am I here today? I'm here today because my mother and my grandmother and my great-grandmother said, we're going to do it differently than the rest of our culture. That we as a family, regardless of how much money we have, regardless of the kind of home we live in, or how little education we have, we're going to make sure that our children and grandchildren know the truths of God. And we get the opportunity too, every, every day, that we can choose, are we going to model the truths of God by inviting our kids to come be a part of a place like this, by the way that we serve. Our children watch what we do with our hands, how we spend our money, what we spend our stuff on. Are we going to have a servant's heart? You know, maybe this next year, and instead of encouraging all of your teenagers to go to the Union Rescue Mission and do a service project, or go over to uh, the Tennessee Baptist Children's Home and do a service project, maybe your whole family does a service project. That you say to your kids, come and watch me as I follow me as I follow Jesus. Isn't that what Paul said in, in Corinthians 13? 13.1, he says, follow me as I follow Jesus. Could our children and grandchildren say that of us? Hey, come and be like dad because dad's being like Jesus. Come and love like mom because mom is loving like Jesus. The way that we serve will be how our children learn to serve. And when we teach our children to depend on God, they will grow up learning to depend on God. My kids, I, I, I know we don't have much time left, but my kids, they grew up, we, we left our job. I was on staff at a church for 13 years, and 11 and a half years ago, we felt led to quit and to start doing this full-time speaking and, and writing ministry to families. And so when this happened, you know, I, I walk away, there's, there's no income, there's no retirement, there's no health care. We were just trusting God on this new journey. And we began to tell our kids, my children were three and five at the time. And I told them, I said, Daddy does not provide for our family. God provides. Everything that we eat, the home that we live in, the vehicles we drive, Dad doesn't do any of this. Now, I know that God gives us jobs. And through our job and our abilities, the blessing out of, that, of, using, that, of using that ability well is we get the blessing of a paycheck. But that paycheck comes because we are using our gifts wisely that God gave us as well. Do you see that? We have to have the mindset that I'm not moving up the ladder in the Western culture in America because I'm so good at it. It's that everything we have comes from the Lord. And so we began to teach our children that at a young age. And so I remember that very first Christmas rolled, came around and we sat down with our kids the second week of December and we said, hey guys, this Christmas is going to be a little different because God's asking us to trust him. And so there's not going to be a lot of Christmas gifts here at our house. But you, you used to get stuff from Mimi and Granddad and Grandma and Papa, but just not here at our house. Now I'm, I'm telling you, as dad, this is an awkward conversation because as dad, you feel like it's my job to take care of my family. And yet I'm telling my kids that God's going to be the one to take care of us. So we have a board of directors, and we didn't tell them about this conversation. We didn't tell our parents. We told a three-year-old and a five-year-old, and that was it. So the next day was church. We take our kids to church. We pull up in our old minivan on Sunday morning, uh, Sunday afternoon after church. We pull up in our driveway, and there's a gigantic bag sitting on our front doorstep with four Christmas gifts for my son 
and four for my daughter. And just because he's a good God who loves showing off for his kids, he even put one in there for me and one for my wife. And I was able to sit down with my five-year-old and the three-year-old and say, Daddy didn't do this. God did this. Santa didn't do this. God did this. Because he's a good God that you can trust. About three years later, I was booked to speak five weeks in a row all across the South at church camps, youth camps. So three days before the first camp, we're going to be on the road for five weeks with an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old and my wife in this minivan. Three days before the first camp, the air conditioner breaks on our minivan. Like we're still living month to month starting this ministry. There is no money. We had $200 in the bank. That was it. And so we just sat down and prayed. And I just said, God, you're asking us to trust you. And I could go and get a loan. I could go and ask for money. And we could get the air conditioner fixed. But instead, we're going to go on the road. And we're going to trust you that you're going to take care of us. So we went on the road with no air conditioner. And you know what that's like, right? In Memphis with no heat and with no air conditioner. So on the last day of the first camp, this man walks up to me. And he says, hey, I was walking around outside having my quiet time this morning. And for some reason, God led me over to this vehicle. He goes, is that your minivan out there? And I said, yeah. And he goes, this may sound crazy, but I think God wants you to have my van. And I said, that doesn't sound crazy at all. That I think you clearly have heard from the Lord. And, uh, and I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, three months ago, I bought a new van, and I was going to trade in my old van. His old van with, like, leather seats, DVD player, electric sliding doors. Like, if I had the money, I wouldn't have bought a car this nice. And he said, I, I, it's in my garage, and just come to my house, and I'll give you the title and the keys. And I was able to go to my kids, and I said, Daddy didn't earn this. Daddy didn't do this. God did this. So last story, three years ago, my daughter, she was in eighth grade, and we had been homeschooling, and she decided she was tired of being a weirdo, and she wouldn't go to a regular school. I'm just kidding if you're still homeschooling. My son graduated all the way through high school as a homeschooler and got an 80% scholarship to college, so, you know, weirdos rule the world. Um, anyway, my daughter, she was in eighth grade, and she came to us and said, I'd like to go to regular school for high school. And we said, that's fine with us. What do you want to do? And she said, I want to go to ECS, you know, Evangelical Christian School. Uh, now costs $17,000 a year to go to the school. Two years ago, they were rated by U.S. News and World Report as one of the top 10 private Christian schools in the United States. I mean, this is you say it's a good school? No, I'm saying it's incredible. And so I said to my daughter, sweetie, if they gave us an 80% scholarship, we couldn't pay the other 20. I said, I, I make a youth pastor's salary and we pay our own health care. We don't, there's, it's just not in the cards. I, I don't know what we would do. And I said, but your whole life, I've told you that daddy doesn't provide, God provides. So let's just start praying. And so every, every morning, she would just be praying with our family, and God, could you make this possible? And God, I think this would be great for me, and I would love this opportunity. If this is what you want for me, could you just please, please provide for our family? So the first week of December, midway through eighth grade, this man contacts me on LinkedIn, a social network, and he says, my wife and I have heard you preach in several different churches around the city, and we'd really like to be part of your ministry. 
well, I've been doing this long enough to know that's code for I'd like to give you some money. And he goes, when could you meet? And I said, I, in about 45 minutes. So we got together over here at, at Starbucks. And um, he gave us a really generous donation check for our ministry that wasn't for me, it was for our ministry. And he says, well, how did you guys get started doing this? And I just started sharing some of these stories along with about 18 others that we don't have time to share this morning in just insane stories of things that God has done in our family. And I said, you know, the latest thing is my daughter wants to go to this insanely expensive school. Humanly speaking, it's just not going to happen. But I believe that that's where God wants my kid to be. That's where she's going to be at school next year. And he just starts grinning and he says, I have three grown children all in their 20s. And they went to that school, kindergarten through graduation. And he said, I know the difference a school like that can make in a kid's life. He said, I know we want to be part of your ministry, but I want to do something special just for your family. And he said, when I leave here, I'm going to go by the school and I'm going to pay for your daughter's tuition. He's changed my kid's life. Every year, he's paying for this. I just met the man 45 minutes ago and he's changing our family's life. Now, I was able to go home to my daughter and I was able to tell her not what daddy did, what daddy could never do, but what God can do. And not because she's so good, not because she makes great grades, but just because he's a good, good father who loves showing off for his kids, who loves giving his children the desire of our hearts. And you know what? I know that your story is not my, my story is not your story. And I know some of you out there are thinking, well, God's never done that for our family. But you know what? You've got a story and your story matters. Your story, granddad, your story is important. Share your story to pass it down to your children and to your children after them so that your heart and their heart is connected to God's heart. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Father, I know in this room we are all at very different places in our walk with you. God, there's some of us in this room that we, we've been following you for 60 years. And we've seen you do just indescribable things in our families, in, in our grandkids, in our great-grandkids' lives. And Father, we just want to acknowledge right now that all of what you've done has been for your glory. God, that you've shown up in our lives and in our careers you providing food and a home and education. you providing a church for us to come and worship you in. All of that was done for your glory. And so right now, Father, as parents, as grandparents, as students, we just want to offer ourselves back over to you right now and just tell you one more time that we belong to you and that we are your people. This morning, I want us to have a, a little bit different response time than maybe you're used to. I mean, can we just admit with your heads bowed, it's the first service, right? The devoted are here at first service. So instead of having just a gospel response this morning, I want us to have a family response this morning. And as I've been teaching God's Word this morning, I'm guessing, sharing my stories, there's been some stories in your own life that God's been bringing to your mind. Some things that are happening in your own families right now that God is bringing to your mind. 
things that you've been praying about for your grandkids that God is bringing to your mind right now. And I'm going to ask you that you would join this me, me this morning as our response time is that let's just come and pray. Let's just, let's just use the front of these stairs right here, these steps, as just kind of a makeshift altar. There's nothing spiritual about it. It's just a, kind of a symbolic way of saying, God, we're coming to you as your people to humble ourselves. And so I'm just going to ask you right now, would you just stand with me? Just with your heads bowed. And, and I, I, don't, I don't care if you're 85 years old and you're on a walker. If you want to come pray down front this morning, we'll help you. I just want to invite you guys as parents, as grandparents, just to take each other's hands and let's just come pray. And let's just recommit our families and our grandkids to the Lord to tell him we belong to you. Your minister is going to lead us in some music. And as he sings, I just invite you to come and pray with us this morning.